0: When I was 17 years old and my first trip from my home in suburban Fort Worth over to downtown Dallas by myself, well, I had some friends with me because we had gone to see the circus. The Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus. It was the year they had King Tusk, right? This gigantic elephant with big uh, tusks. And well, then they put the big African elephant next to small Asian elephants to make him look even bigger. And I was sitting there going, hey, this is some trickery. Anyhow, we're coming back from the circus and we're on the busy airport freeway that runs kind of on the north side uh, between downtown Dallas and downtown Fort Worth and connects to DFW Airport. And we're in Irving, and it's busy, and there's three lanes of traffic going either direction with one of those big walls separating it in the middle, and there's a median uh, on the side if you had a breakdown and a, you know, shoulder on the outside, and we're driving along, and I'm uh, driving my mom's station wagon, but, you know, we have four of us, and we wouldn't fit in my little Mazda pickup truck, and I've got my friends in there, and we're driving along. And I see in my rearview mirror that somebody is approaching really rapidly and erratically. I mean, in and out of lanes and just going fast, man. And the speed limit there is like 55 at the time. And this guy's flying. And I kind of tense up already because I'm in the middle of the three lanes. And, of course, as I said, there's, you know, the median-type part between there and the concrete wall. And there's the shoulder. So I'm, I'm doing what my dad taught me. I'm knowing that I can go either way. I'm watching my mirror. But then I think, oh, I've got to watch in front of me so I don't run into what's in front of me. What if nobody else is paying attention? And I say to my friends, dude, there's somebody coming up, like, really fast. And they're like, whoop, huh? whoop. Huh? The dude comes by us on our right side swings into the middle lane in front of us, goes back right. He's weaving in and out of traffic. And then somebody, a few cars up ahead of us, like changes lanes because they don't see him. He locks up his brakes, spins around, and he's like in an old Chevy Caprice, right? And he's now facing backwards, sliding down the freeway with the side of his car against the concrete wall and sparks are flying and stuff like that. And all of us behind him are like, whoa, you know? And a hubcap comes off of this car. You remember when cars used to have hubcaps, right? And the hubcap comes bouncing down the highway right towards us. And at this point, even though I'm doing what my dad said and I'm in the middle lane, there are people on either side of me and I can't go either way. And I just said, oh, God, because I thought this is my mom's car. I don't want to mess it up. Even though it is an old station wagon. And the hubcap bounced right in front of us and went right over our car. Whew. I mean, we're still driving down the freeway. We've slowed down at this point, but we're still moving. So, you know, I kind of move over. We go past this guy. I'm like, I'm not stopping to see if he's okay. He's a crazy man. I'm getting us home. I'm getting us out of here. Wouldn't you know, five minutes later, he comes barreling down the, uh, past us again and goes up over this overpass, passes people on the overpass. And I said to my friends, man, we just need to pray for that guy, whatever's going on there. But that prayer at that moment Oh, God. Some of you have had some of those prayers, right? Something so scary, so frightening, so sudden, all you can do is say two words. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Maybe you just say the name Jesus. Jesus. That instant prayer. There are some prayers in our life that are like that. There are other prayers that are quite unlike that. Quite the opposite, aren't they? They're prayers from a broken heart. Prayers of a deliberate mind. Prayers that happen day after day, week after week, month after month, and we think, God, when are you going to answer? God, are you even listening to me? And we want to talk this morning about prayer. Now, prayer is something we can all do, right? It's not difficult. It's just a conversation you have with God. But some of us, because of our relationship with God, we think is God sitting up there with his arms folded going, just send me a prayer. Let me see what I'm going to do about it need to be reminded of God's love, and you're going to see that in our passage of Scripture this morning. And if you haven't already, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, Ephesians is this great book. It's a great book because, number one, it's in the Bible. Number two, Paul wrote it. Uh, Not that he's any better than any other Bible writer, but man, he wrote so much. And the difference with this book is that he wrote it to a church in Ephesus, a church that he helped plant, a church that he was there like as a pastor for three years, and he leaves Timothy there, uh, you know, to uh, be the pastor uh, once he's gone. And that's where we're going to get next week in First and Second Timothy. We'll get there in a minute. But in Ephesians chapter 3, we get this prayer where Paul says, here's my prayer for you, the church that I love, about how you might grow in Jesus. Now, before we get there, however, we want to look at our Scripture of the Month. Our Scripture of the Month, remember, we preached about uh, two weeks ago, and that's Acts 9.31, based on God speaking to me, that I might speak to you about where our church is at right now. That we're in a time of peace, in the third line there, and we're being strengthened in many ways. But it's our relationship with God, living in fear of the Lord, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. In other words, comforted and counseled by the Holy Spirit. It's then that we increase in number. Let's say that together. Acts 9.31 Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Acts 9.31 So that's where we were like two weeks ago. But the week before that, we started this sermon series with two words from Matthew 4.19. Follow me. And we talked about what it means to follow Jesus as a student, a learner, apprentice, a disciple. What a Christ follower is. Somebody who seeks to live their life like Jesus does. And we talked about who the me is and pointed out that even just in the first four chapters of Matthew, there's 20 different titles almost of who Jesus is and his power and his majesty as God's son on earth. Last week, we talked about fulfilling Jesus' message or mission mission. And that He empowers us to do His will. And He reminds us to call on the Holy Spirit. And now let me foreshadow next week, however. I mentioned it already. And uh, Andrea Cogley did her great design work. And we've got a nice slide Richard will put up here for me. And it's uh, one verse. But the fra- phrase out of it we're picking out is the title of our sermon series. That starts next week and goes all the way through the end of July. Is my true child. And it's instructions from... Uh, to the church from the book of 1 Timothy. And remember what I said to you already. Let me say a little bit more, and you'll hear it more in the weeks ahead. 1 Timothy, I love, is because it's a book that Paul writes to his son Timothy, not literally, biologically his son, but his son in the ministry, And so it's this personal book of a personal relationship. You can see that love that Paul has for Timothy. He's just giving him advice. He says, man, here's the way you need to do this. Watch out for these things. But then the other thing that's happening in 1 Timothy is Paul is writing to Timothy as a pastor. And he's saying, here's the kind of things you need to look out for in your church. Here's the way you need to lead your church. Here's the way you need to serve your church. And by a certain extent, even though it's one pastor writing to another, it's written to all of us as believers in Jesus who gather together as a church to tell us, here's the way we need to behave as a church. So that's why we're talking uh, uh, next about 1 Timothy. It'll be perfect to follow up this sermon series as we look at the health of our church in response to him. But today, today a prayer, a prayer for dependence on God based on His love for us. So, I did all my introducing. I'm ready to read Scripture. you ready for it? Would you stand with me if if you're able to stand in the honor of reading God's Word as we read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, the end of the chapter. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high And deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. According to His power that is at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I can't help but admit that I'm a little excited to see what you have to say to us today. We look at this prayer and we hear who we are praying to and what you can do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine. So, Father, I pray that you fill us with such faith. And I pray that it's not just a blind faith, but that you grow us in a relationship with you, that that faith is real and palpable. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So when we look at this passage of Scripture, what are the prayer requests here? What are the prayer requests? That's your first blank or your first point on your outline. What are the prayer requests here? Now, there's a bunch of things Paul says because he's Paul, and he likes to lay it on, man. He likes to describe things really well. And so we get a a lot of content from Paul and a lot of description. But you think about a prayer request, and, and, and what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is you talking to someone else, but in this case, you're talking to the sovereign God of the whole universe. And sometimes in a conversation with somebody down here on earth, another person you know here... You're like, well, you talk about mundane things. Hey, can you do this? Yeah, I'll do that. Or, or, dude, man, I wish you wouldn't have forgot that. Oh, sorry, I forgot that. But other times you come away from a conversation informed or encouraged, inspired, counseled, challenged, comforted. Maybe some conversations are just plain fun and you enjoyed yourself and you laughed. Maybe you did all the above. And prayer is like that even with God, that it is a conversation with God. And when we look at these verses, so put your eyes on your text with me, if you will, you see a couple things in the way that it breaks down. Verse 14 and 15, For this reason I kneel before the Father, so that's who he's praying to. Yes, we know prayers about uh, to God, but if you were just reading this, you wouldn't have known it was a prayer if it didn't have a little title in there. From whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. So we're his family. Not because we chose him, but because he chose us first. That's other scripture and how he uh, chooses to love us. So that's an introduction to this prayer. And then look at verse 16. It says, I pray out of his glorious riches. So this is the source of what's going to happen. He may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in. In your heart. So that first request is really that we'd be strengthened so that Christ would dwell in us. But look at verse 17 in the second part. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, that's really the second request. That you, being rooted and established in love, verse 18 answers it and tells you why, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. Now, if you got somewhere to go, that was the whole sermon in about one minute, okay? So you're welcome to leave. But I'd be happy for you to stay because there's some more depth for us to dive into. That's the two prayer requests, but let's look deeper here because as Paul describes deeper, we can learn deeper. And I think that's what you want to do, and that's what I'm excited about. So your next point in your outline is what are the prayer requests here? And the first one is a love relationship with Jesus. You know God loves you. I hope you do. I hope that it's not just that you hear me and other people say, John 3.16, That God so loves the world, and you think, well, yeah, the world. Because the devil is whispering his lies in your ears, and because of the own circumstances of your life, and because of something within you you may be struggling with from your past or your present that's got you down, and it's legitimate, and it's real, and the circumstances are stinky, and they hurt. But don't let those circumstances, and don't let your past, dictate your current relationship with Jesus, and certainly not your future. That you forget the fact that the God of the whole universe loved you so much, He sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to die for you. And if you were the only person that ever lived, He'd still given His Son, Jesus, to save you from your sins and to give you an abundant life on earth and an eternal life in heaven. God initiates a love relationship with every one of us that is real and personal. But just like any other relationship, you've got to take it up. Let's say you meet somebody and you think, oh, that person's kind of cool. I can hang out with them. And they say to you, hey, man, you want to go out to dinner sometime? Or, you know, you want, won't your family want to come hang out with our family and, you know, we'll cook some burgers on the grill or something and just hang out? Well, how do you take the next step? You say, yes, right? I'm um, sure. Well, um, when works for you. The same thing in your love relationship with Jesus. Jesus says, come follow me. And you've got to go, all right, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. You've got to take the next step in following Jesus. You've got to go uh, with him in that relationship. Your second point on your outline is embracing that relationship with Jesus. So let's go back to that idea of uh, a friendship that's beginning. And somebody says, "Hey, man, you want to share a meal together? You want to hang out uh, your family with my family?" And uh, you know it goes well the first time. You're like, "Man, we can hang out with these people. This guy's cool. I like him. You know, I can learn some things from him. We have a fun time together. We have some similar interests. Whatever it is you're looking for in a relationship, a friendship like that." But look at verse 18 in scripture. Look at verse 18. It says, "So we got to go back to the end of verse, uh, middle of verse 17. So let's get 17b." And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Whoa! So looking back at your screen there, your notes, the requests are that we'd have a love relationship with Jesus. But the second one, part of that, is that we'd embrace that love relationship with Jesus. That we'd have power... With all the saints, that means it's available to every believer in Jesus, to grasp how wide and long and tall and deep is the love of Christ. Think about what it means to grasp something. I'm looking for somebody grasping something now. Jason Moore is grasping his bulletin in his hand right there. He is, oh, Chris has got his coffee mug. God bless you. What kind of coffee are you drinking this morning, Chris? Guatemalan. He's got his Baptist beer and it's all good, right? (laughs) Sorry, that was a hashtag from this week. Uh, um, Okay, back to the sermon. I shouldn't have even said that. Why do I do that to myself? Thanks. Did you know he can do that on the podcast? Yeah, he like times me, and then he knows when I say something that sounds corny, and he cuts it out. So if you're listening on podcast, you miss the worst or best part of the sermon, depending on how you feel about it. Yeah, that's why you need to be here, right? You need to hear it live before Chris takes out goofy parts. All right. Thanks, Chris. We love you, man. Back to the sermon. Embracing. Embracing means to hold something, but you think about grasping something. You think about embracing something. You think about being together. And that relationship with Jesus means that you take it seriously. That you're not like, nah, I'm going to throw this bulletin away like Jason might do. Uh, Or Chris is going to be like, I'm going to take my coffee mug and wash it. You know, he's not really embracing that. He's just embracing it for now. But your relationship with Jesus should be ongoing, just like your relationship with your children or with your spouse, that you don't always physically hold their hand or put your arm around them or give them a hug. But in your mind and over the course of time, you're continually seeking to grow that relationship because you have embraced them. So your second question on your outline this morning is, how do I grow my relationship with Jesus? How do I grow my relationship with Jesus? Back in college, um, I went to a Christian college, Hardin-Simmons University in Abilene, Texas. About 2,000 students is a great place to learn and grow And it was a small enough campus, about 1,300, 1,400 of us lived on campus at any time. And then you had non-traditional students and off-campus students. So you knew everybody on campus and you knew everybody around, even if you didn't know them. But, oh, yeah, it's that guy. Yeah, and he hangs out there and he sits there in the cafeteria because we had one cafeteria. But, uh, you know, I, I wasn't like really too much into the dating scene in college, but I had friends that really were. And I learned a new phrase, like, right off the bat my freshman year, okay? Because, you know, we went to dances. They were called foot functions because we weren't allowed to say dance on the Baptist College back then. Seriously? You advertised it as a foot function that was off campus. I mean, it wasn't a dance. Granted, we really boogied when we got out there. And so one of my friends, uh, who will remain nameless, Clay, um, <clears throat> He really liked girls. And he went to every dance he could go to and danced with every girl he could. And if she showed the least bit interest, man, he thought he was going to get married. I mean, it was like his mission in life to come to college as a freshman and meet the girl he was going to marry. And then I guess he's going to drop out of college and live happily ever after and save himself the college loan debt, right? So Clay, I mean, every weekend he'd come back and he'd have this look in his eyes. Guys! I met so-and-so, and she's from such-and-such, and she's got blonde hair and blue eyes, and she's so pretty, and we're like, dude, who did you meet yesterday? What was her name? Where was she from? What color was her hair and eyes? And so then, you know, uh, he'd go out on a second date with them, maybe. I mean, because he was a little over the top. You get the idea. And then he'd come back, and he said, man, and we had to have the, the DTR talk. Somebody knows the phrase? I'm like, DTR? He said, define the relationship. I'm like, oh, your first real date with her, and you're defining the relationship? Do you see anything wrong with this, Clay? Are you moving a little too fast here, Clay? No, man, I love her, and I think I want to know you're not going to marry her. You just fell in love with what she looked like and the way she danced last weekend, and you went on your first date ever with her this weekend. You don't need to be defining the relationship, Clay. Define the relationship. I told you that whole story for that phrase, right? When you think about your relationship with Jesus... If somebody were to ask you to define that relationship right now, what would it look like? How close would it be? How intimate would it be? Is it growing? Is it stagnant? Is it like, eh, I think I have a relationship with Jesus. I, I, I'm pretty sure I asked him to be my savior, but it's been a long time. I mean, where are you at? You're not my friend Clay in love with the next girl you met at a dance. That's not real love. This is the God of the whole universe whose sin is one and only son, Jesus, who gave himself for you, who loves you, who wants a personal love relationship with you, that he's inviting you to grasp that relationship with him. And what are you going to do about it? How would you define that relationship? Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being so how do i grow my relationship with jesus right there on the screen as i'm strengthened by the holy spirit the key to this passage of scripture is right there the power the fuel for this passage of scripture is right there if you've ever done an endurance activity and you've ran out of energy You've bonked, you've hit the wall. Maybe you're somebody that you're diabetic or maybe you're somebody that your blood sugar goes low. I mean, you don't have to be an endurance athlete to know what it means to crash, right? When your energy is just gone and you just feel weird and you're like, oh man, this is terrible. Some of us try to live our Christian life that way and we wonder why it's so uncomfortable. and We wonder why it's such a drag. It's because we're not connected to the power. We're not continually embracing or grasping that relationship with Jesus. That we're strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And through God's word, by our prayers, with the Holy Spirit, we are strengthened with that kind of power. In Galatians 3.2, Paul wrote, and you can write down that reference, Galatians 3.2, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith. I I share that verse with you to remind you that you cannot conjure up the Holy Spirit. You can ask Him in, but it's not by anything you do, but it's by your faith that you say, Okay, God, I'm lifting this prayer request up to you because it's something I can't handle on my own. I don't need to handle on my own. I'm not intended to handle on my own. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, strengthen me to handle this circumstance? Would you give me the wisdom I need, the heart I need? Think about what Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. When you get God's Spirit in you, the guidance for your life as a Christ follower is God's Word. The fuel for your life is God's Word. And some of us may be frustrated because we're trying the wrong kind of fuel. I have a friend of mine who I'm always on because he likes to ride his bike a long way, but he never takes his tools with him in case something happens. And he rarely takes enough water with him uh, because, you know, you need that. You, You do sweat. And he doesn't take any sports drink or energy, uh, anything with him. And he just doesn't. I'm like, dude, how do you do that? Do you not bonk? Do you not run out of energy? We've got to have the right kind of fuel. And that fuel comes through the Holy Spirit as we read Scripture and as we pray. Let's move on to your second answer there. As I'm planted in Jesus' love. How do I grow in my relationship with Jesus as I'm strengthened by the Holy Spirit? But the second way is as I'm planted in Jesus' love. Look at that second half of verse 17 again. And it says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Paul likes to change analogies on us. So think about rooted. Rooted, he puts down roots. Established, that's like planted firm like a foundation that's built. One is organic, the other is inorganic. Paul is saying, no matter how it happens, I want you to be firm in the love of God that you know the God of the whole universe loves you and he sent his son Jesus to sacrifice himself for you that you might grow in a relationship with him. So the Holy Spirit helps you and Jesus grounds you. your finger in Ephesians and turn over to John chapter 13 with me. This one we need to have you turn with me. John 13. If you got it memorized, it's okay. You don't have to turn. Verse 34 and 35. But if you don't, maybe even if you do, let's put your eyes there with me in your own copy of God's Word. Hey, and if you got an electronic Bible you're using on your iPad or your phone or whatever, highlight this thing, man. Email it to yourself. Tweet it. Uh, Put it on Facebook. Whatever. This is good stuff. John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus speaking, he says, A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus tells us to love one another, but what, did he, what was his example? How were we supposed to do it? As he has loved us. He gave Himself for us. He sacrificed Himself for us. We're supposed to love others that way. And as we're planted in Jesus' love, it makes a difference in the way that we love. You guys don't see it, but I write a preaching plan for Myra to see, right? Where I I outline, here are the texts I'm going to preach on and the topics, and I give her a brief description. And from that like one paragraph, she comes up with amazing songs that fit. And it's like, Dude, how does she do that? Well, one, she reads. Um, That's good to know that she reads. Um, Two, she's smart. But three, much more than that, the Holy Spirit guides her. There's been so many times that I'm sitting here and I'm like, get out. How did she know to pick that song? Well, she's been praying about it, and God helped her out with it. And it's just amazing to see that at work. So in any case, this week on my preaching plan, I said that I was going to talk about the surgery results. Survey results. Um, So, I wanted to find out if Myra saw that I said I was going to talk about the surgery results as part of my sermon. So, whenever she comes back, we can ask her if she uh, noticed the surgery results were going to be in there. But I just want to hit them real quick because two weeks ago, we asked you guys to take that survey about our church's health and we asked specifically about worship service and inviting people. We asked about Sunday school. We asked about small groups other than Sunday school and we asked some general questions. And if you want to find out a little bit more and you haven't already, subscribe to our church newsletter, SouthviewBaptist.org, backslash newsletter, and subscribe there, and then you can even read the one that just went out in the archives. It's also on that page. But when it comes to Sunday school, and we ask questions about why people attended Sunday school, let me give you a couple results here. Well, let me just ask you first. What do you think the number one reason people attend Sunday school is? Community. Community, okay. That's actually... Number one. Somebody else. What's the number two reason people attend Sunday school? I can't hear. Free food. (laughs) Maybe if more classes had free food, we'd have better attendance. Hmm, Okay. Uh, Something other than food. The number two reason people attend Sunday school is? Bible study or learning, yeah. So, you know, you all use different words. It wasn't a multiple choice, but far and away the number one reason that people attended Sunday school was things like fellowship, community, relationships, friends. And then there were a whole bunch that supported that that say, I like smaller groups, I like discussion, I like it when we can all share our own opinions. But there were also some negatives of that. I don't like it when people talk about politics, but I do like it when they talk about this. I mean, all these kind of things, and we'll share more of those results with you along the way. Um, other answers that were high on the list were things like growing in Christ, uh, being interactive, and knowledge and life application. And then we asked if you're not attending Sunday school regularly, what would need to change in order for you to attend? The number one answer there was smaller classes. Number two answer was age graded classes for adults. Um, and then we had connecting with people. Um, uh, deeper content, more variety, people I feel comfortable with, a variety of things like this. Then we asked, what is it you're looking for in a Sunday school class? And far and away again, it was friendship, fellowship, community, relationship was the number one answer. Uh, Life application, valuable learning, things I can relate to, Bible study, discussion, class participation, folks in a similar stage of life, encouragement, learning, listening, Lesson preparation by other class members so they don't just show up and talk off the cuff that they have actually studied their own lesson, not just the teacher. I love the word connectedness, inclusiveness. These are the sort of things that you said, I want to see in a Sunday school class to help me grow in my relationship with Christ. And that's a brief aside just so you don't think that we forgot that. But here's the last thing I'll say on that. Pastor David, that's his responsibility as a staff pastor. So he will be talking to folks who have said, I'm interested in teaching a new Sunday school class, interested in teaching a small group, and as we have those come available, we'll make them known to you. And I would just tell you, if you're not involved in a Sunday school class now, maybe try one that's existing now and see what you think. And then you'll know better what it is you're looking for as we introduce new classes. You'll find the right one where you can learn the Bible, but be in relationship with others to help us be planted In Jesus' love. So let's move on with our text. Your third question this morning is What are the results of my relationship with Jesus? What are the results of my relationship with Jesus? Well, this is really a question about expectations. What did we expect? How are we going to get there? What's it going to take? Your first answer there is becoming everything God intends. Becoming everything God intends. That's, that's a huge answer, isn't it? But look at verse 19. Verse 18 said that we we're going to grow to grasp how wide, deep, and long the love of Christ is. But Verse 19 says, And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Now, all right, I know my measure of fullness, and I'm just me. You know, I'm I'm Aaron. I'm impatient with things sometimes. I'm lazy at times. uh, I got my issues, right? My measure of fullness it might be, you know, up to here, depending on the day. But I'm not talking about negative fullness. I'm talking about positive things. But look what it says about this. That phrase. It says that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. How big is God? made the whole universe. Is he bigger than the universe? Well, he's not a physical being. He's a spiritual being. But the measure of all fullness of God far exceeds the measure of any fullness that you or I have, doesn't it? And that's what Paul prays. And basically, I tried to make it easy, but I think I took too much away from the meaning of it by saying, becoming everything God intends. We're going to get there in verse 20 about immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. But God intends for us more than we can imagine for ourselves, friends. He intends us to know Him and love Him deeper than we can imagine ourselves. He intends us to become more like Jesus than we can imagine ourselves. Let's look at the next answer there. What are the results of my relationship with God? That first one, becoming everything God intends. The second one, God getting all the glory. That's in verse 21. I know I'm skipping verse 20, but I'm doing it on purpose based on the way the thoughts are arranged, not the text falls. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. When I'm in a right relationship with God, it's not me that gets the glory. It's God that gets the glory. Yes, people will say, man, that guy is so cool. Man, that gal loves Jesus so much. And to a certain extent, they're going to identify you as Christ and you're going to get it. But it's for you to say, it's not me, it's Jesus. Jesus has made me this way. Jesus has gifted me this way. Jesus has given me these opportunities. And yes, I had some hard work to do. And yes, I had some sacrifice. But it's all about God getting the glory. It's not about me. When I'm in a right relationship with God, I become everything God intends. And because I'm everything He intends, He gets the glory, not me. It's not about me, friends. It's all about Jesus. We've got one final question on your outline bringing us to conclusion. And that is, who is the one who can do all this? Notice I capitalized the word one. An old-fashioned convention, maybe, grammatically. But why do you think I did that? Who's the one I'm talking about? God. God. Who is the one who can do all these things for us? This is where we go back to verse 20. This is where, if I'm, I hadn't been a little jacked up in this sermon already, I'd get jacked up now. Watch out. Buckle up if you need to, okay? Now to him. Who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. Who is the one who can do all this? Say it again. Wait, we got to do better than that. Who is the one who can do all this? Say it again. Yes, thank you. God can do it. I can't even scratch the surface to do this myself. My power is so limited. My knowledge is so limited. My wisdom is so limited. My strength is so limited. But God is unlimited. And who is the one that can do all this? It is God. Look at that first half of verse 20. Your answer there says, It's incomprehensible, God, I'm asking. It's incomprehensible, God, I'm asking. I know that sounds a little awkward, but I was trying to make it short and make it have some kind of word or idea that we went, whoa, okay, what does incomprehensible mean? It means beyond my understanding, beyond my ability, beyond everything I can ask or imagine. Think about it. How creative are you? How much can you ask or imagine? God can do more than that. Now you need to say, whoa. Maybe you need to say amen. It's the incomprehensible God that I am asking. And that's why we worship him. Your next answer there. That it is God's power at work within me. According to his power that is at work within us. Do you ever feel like. Your life is going a lot harder than it should. And you're going, come on, God. Am I not right with you? Have I not confessed all my sins to you? Am I not humble before you? Am I not seeking you? If it's not a sin issue that's hindering your relationship with God, here's the second question I would ask you as your pastor and brother in Christ. I would say, time out. There's one more thing that might be hindering your relationship with God. There's one more reason God might not be answering and these things might not be happening in your life. Are you ready for it? It's that you're trying on your own. If you're trying on your power, trying on your own ability, your own wisdom, your own strength, whose power is at work within me? Let's say it again. Whose power is at work within me? God. And if I am going to be the person God intends me to be, what does that mean I need to do? That means I need to step out of the way and say, God, you got to take care of this because I don't need to. Or God, you got to take care of this because I shouldn't. God is at work in you. Now, friends, I've got to admit to you, that's hard to do, isn't it? If you're like me, you kind of like to be in control of your life. You want to be in the driver's seat. Hey, man, just like my story from the beginning of the sermon. You see where this is going here? I would so much rather have had it been that I was the passenger on that night in 1988 as an 18-year-old the first time driving to Dallas, and my dad at the wheel, because my dad had been driving since his feet could reach the pedals as a farm boy in western Pennsylvania, right? And my dad would have known what to do, I don't know if my dad probably still would have said, oh, God, is the hubcap bounced straight over our car? But wouldn't it be nice to trust not just your dad, but God to take the wheel of your life. And no matter what's going on around you, you can trust that he's got it because he's in control. And you're just riding in the passenger seat going, dude, I'm so glad you're driving. And it's nice just to sit here and have a conversation with you while you're in control because I know you're the sovereign God of the whole universe and you love me and you want the best for me and I'm not in the driver's seat. I am trusting you, God. Turn back in your Bibles to John 15. John 15 and we're going to close. I was reminded this week in my daily Bible reading of the richness of John 15 and the old... Devotional book, Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray. And if you want to learn how to walk closer with Jesus, I'd commend that book to you. You can buy it at Walmart, probably. I know you can get it on Amazon or a bookstore. Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray. It walks through John 15, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, word by word at some points. But look at verse 4, John 15:4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Whose power is at work within me? What can I do on my own? Enough said. Let's pray.